0: I um I dabble in church history. It's interesting to me. I always made jokes that if I if I went to seminary and I got a master's of divinity degree, I would want it to be in church history because that I wouldn't be able to get that from reading the Bible. <laughs> you have to read other books to get learn church history. So, we're going to do a little bit of church history for communion today. So church history begins with the church acts 2 and pentecost and the holy spirit comes and they spread out to all the nations and there's a thing that people would do when jesus had his last supper he said do this in remembrance of me and the disciples they said man we want to do that he's going to he's telling us we're going to do this again and so they would make that a part of their get-togethers they would have a meal. And then at some point they would almost reenact and remember, do you remember Jesus' last night? Oh man, I remember it. I got to sit closer to him than you because he liked me more. And no, he didn't. And then they'd break out into a fight and then they'd calm down the fight and then they'd get back to things. And they would talk about what he did and what the Last Supper was like. And other people that weren't there would be like, was he, was he there? You know, What was that like? And they'd talk about it. But then at some point that got more and more codified into we're only going to let certain people touch the bread because it turns into the body of Christ. We're only going to let some people touch the wine. And there have been wars over this, you guys. People have killed each other about what communion means and what you should do and who can have it. And every once in a while it comes up in the news that this church or that church is going to die, deny communion to this group of people, and then everybody gets upset. So where do we land in 2023 on communion, right? And here is what I want to help you do. I got a friend, a mentor, a friend of mine, and he said, I just cannot work up meditating on all my sins every time I have communion. It's Spiritually and emotionally exhausting. That was Keith Heffley. Uh, some of you guys know Keith Heffley. He said, "Oh, I just can't do it. It's too exhausting for me." And so we were talking about communion. What do you? What? What is it? And if nothing else, and it's okay to put all that, all kinds of other things onto it, but if nothing else, let it be a monthly, right? weekly, different people do communion, different churches do communion, different regularities. A reminder that you are welcomed to come close to Jesus. So close that you would eat with him and that he wants to eat with you. Have you ever been to the restaurant, pick a restaurant and you go and it's like three o'clock in the afternoon and it is the slow time? and it's weird, and there's only one other person in the restaurant, and they're sitting there, and where do you sit? Do you go sit right next to them in that empty restaurant? And isn't that weird when that happens, if you're ever that person? The worst, I used to work by the mall, and I'd go to the mall, cafe court for lunch, but I'd always take a late lunch, because I wouldn't miss the rush, and there'd be this vast open area, and somebody would come with their tray and sit like two tables over from me, and I'd be like, this you have this whole food court to eat why are you intruding my space even though you're only two tables jesus is the opposite jesus wants to invite you to be with him and the the most beautiful expression of that is sitting around eating and so mike you can go ahead and start passing it out when we have communion it is a reminder That Jesus was with the disciples. Those disciples did not have it all together. They did not have all their problems solved. They did not have, um, like I said, they were just minutes, just minutes before Jesus broke the bread with them, they were arguing about who was better. (laughs) So they weren't humble and they weren't pious. Scripture does talk about um, not having bitterness or unforgiveness towards people when you eat and drink. So we do examine ourselves and review ourselves. But in the midst of all the people and all the wars fought over communion, uh, I just thought it would be good to just reduce it and reflect on it of what, what it really is. And it really is a picture of Jesus welcoming us and wanting to be with us. So peel off that clear part first. But it isn't nothing. Communion isn't nothing. Because Paul talks about it, and he talks about it in 1 Corinthians, and and I always try to repeat what he said about it when we do it. So he, um, he says that Jesus took the bread the night that he was betrayed and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. So God bless you as you eat it. Then they had their meal. At the end of the meal, there was a cup to be had. It would have been their fourth cup of wine that night. And Jesus said, this is the blood of my covenant. So God bless you as you drink it. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you want to be with us. And not just in a, in a vague, ethereal way, but... You want to be with us like people that eat together, like people that sit at the same table and enjoy life together and talk. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you so much that you would show us so much mercy that even though we are kind of like the disciples and we don't have it all together, you would invite us to sit and eat and spend some time. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you, Lord. Amen. You might look at Hebrews 13 and start to read it. And it's like, wow, this is like a bunch of little fortune cookie one-liners. And it comes across like that if you just read Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. We just covered like nine different topics, right? Well, I don't want it to be a fortune cookie for you. I want, I want to, I want to help you to see where this fits. If you flip back just to the end of chapter 12, remember that he talks about um, how the law was established by Moses and how scary that was and what a big deal that was, but how now Jesus has come and put a law into our hearts. And so this law that's in our hearts that will not be shaken and will endure forever, then he says... This is in 1226. Nope. Yeah, 1226. At that time, his voice shook the earth. Mount Sinai giving the law. His voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of all things that are shaken. That is, things that cannot be made in order that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. Therefore, let's be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So in light of this kingdom that cannot be shaken, in light of I am looking towards this heavenly thing where everything that can pass away is going to pass away and only the eternal stuff is going to last. Therefore... Let brotherly love continue. If everything is going to shaken, if my allegiance, oh my gosh, who's in the Super Bowl? Help me out. Chiefs. chiefs, Chiefs is good enough. If my allegiance to the chiefs is how I am friends with my buddy, the chiefs are going to be shaken. right? Those guys might not be. Those guys might be eternal, no slam on them. But the fact that they are this football team X is going to be taken away. And so let brotherly love continue. Let the allegiances that you have in Christ continue. Because all the other reasons why people get together and people become friends are going to pass away. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels. Since we're seeking an unshakable kingdom, when I meet a stranger, I want to care for them, and I want to show hospitality to them. Because you know what? They might be my next-door neighbor in heaven for eternity. (laughs) I mean, I say that jokingly. I don't know that it's necessarily laid out like that. But there are people that we might get annoyed at and we might not like their character traits and we might not like the things that they... They might eat too much garlic. They might smell like horses. I'm picking silly things. They might be jerks, right? But if they're in Christ, that jerkiness is going to get burned off of them and they're going to be holy. And I might get to spend eternity with them in Christ. So maybe I need to show some hospitality now. Maybe it would benefit me right now to look to that heavenly kingdom and show some hospitality to strangers. The other thing here that some have entertained angels unawares could be a reference back to Abram when the the three visitors came and Abram got down on his knees and welcomed them and made all kinds of food for them and all that business. They were welcomed and he didn't even know that they were angels. Maybe even Christ Himself. Versus when those two of those three went on to Sodom, and the city of Sodom did not welcome those guys, and it was terrible. Show hospitality, because we're looking to this unshakable kingdom. Remember those who are in prison, as though you're in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Same thing. I mean, how many people. Go to prison and get religion in prison, get saved, and come to Jesus. And they've got a life a life sentence. They're just stuck there for the rest of their life. They'll probably die in a in a prison hospital of old age. But they're gonna enter that unshakable kingdom. And so why not now, while they're in prison, we reach out to them and talk to them and and fellowship with them and encourage them and pray for them. So all of this is in the context of not laws, because we just spent 12 chapters saying the law of Moses is done. We are done with the law of Moses. We do not have to regard the law of Moses. We don't have to be afraid of the law of Moses. We don't have to observe the law of Moses. So these aren't laws. These are Okay, in view of this unshakable kingdom, quit living for yourself. Quit living in fear. Let marriage be held in honor among all. There's a, a whole movement of people that think that you're more holy if you deny getting married. Or you're more, more holy if you take this vow of, of chastity or whatever. And right here... The Bible says to honor marriage. Let the marriage be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. We don't need any details on that. It's just like when at the rescue mission, I used to say, repent, and I don't have to tell you what to repent from. You might just the thought of I want to draw near to God, I want to be holy. I want I want the marriage bed pure. Here's how I do that. I want to honor marriage. Honor marriage. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. If I'm living for an unshakable kingdom, I'm looking towards this kingdom that's going to last forever and everything that's shaken is going to be taken away I'm not going to be scrounging and gathering up and greedy and hoarding money, right? Now, what's awesome is, does this mean I'm going to be super pious and deliberately be poor and show off how awesome my torn up shirt and my torn up pants are because I'm so poor? No, because isn't that the love of not having money? (laughs) Right? Get out of here. Seek after Jesus. Seek after that unshakable kingdom. And this statement at the end of this covers all of these things. So it's not just about money. But he says, Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. If the Lord is never going to leave me or forsake me, then can't I show brotherly love? Can't I show hospitality to strangers? I don't want to show hospitality to the stranger because what if, well, you know what? God's never going to leave me. It reflects back on that whole thing. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can anybody do to me if the Lord, just like we said during communion, If the Lord wants to sit and eat with me, even sitting in a prison, it would be very uncomfortable and it would be awful and it would be sad, but I can be with the Lord. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Then, there is a little bit of a new section. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember, all the people that brought you this message. So these are Jewish background Christians. So it's all new. It's all new to them. And they're still trying to figure out how to be Christians in the Jewish world and in a Roman world at all at the same time. And he's saying, just remember what you've been taught. Don't make up new stuff. Don't go crazy. Imitate them. Keep going. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For, <coughs> for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. What? So he says, don't get straight up, pulled off by strange teachings. So you might immediately think of Gnosticism or... Uh, Nicolaitanism or all these strange teachings that happened around this time. No, he's talking about what to eat. (laughs) Because he's talking to the Jewish people who are still trying to figure out what to do with the law of Moses. And so they're getting told if you eat bacon, you can't be a Christian. If you eat ham, you can't be a Christian. You get in the end of Romans 14 and 15, If you eat food sacrificed to idols, you can't be a Christian. Well, all the food is sacrificed to idols. That's just how the meat market worked. And so maybe you never eat meat, but maybe you just don't care. This is um, me at Thornton's looking at the roller grill, right? About once every six months, I get the desire to eat one of those nasty hot dogs that's been cooking for six hours and Cindy will say don't oh, cold chills don't eat it it's disgusting it's gas station food and then i quote this i am strengthened by grace not what i eat no i don't i am not that mean don't get caught up in the food laws teen don't worry about it but then he gets a little aggressive we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. This whole time he has been saying, Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than law. Jesus has outdone the law. Let's seek after Jesus with all of our hearts. The priests still offer sacrifices. Those sacrifices don't take away your sin because they have to keep going due to those sacrifices every day. And right now at the very end of 13, he says, those Levites doing that law have no right to come close to Jesus and to dine with Him. Whoa. Why? Because they're believing that their sacrifices are taking away sin, which they aren't. The bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Remember when Moses had the tabernacle and the people would be in the camp and they would offer sacrifices in the tabernacle. But then if you did something to be unclean, if you touched something, if something you had skin disease or something happened with your body, then you had to go outside the camp. And outside the camp, they didn't have divisions by tribe. It was just Everybody. And outside the camp, they had a tent called the Tent of Meeting where anybody could go and meet God face-to-face whenever they wanted. There was no altar. There was no place for sacrifice. God was just there, and you would just go meet him. Isn't that wild? Isn't this totally looking forward to Jesus? There's this whole system to show you How far you are from God, how hard it is for you to be holy and sacrifice and activities and killing and death. But if you go outside the camp, by definition, you're unclean, like you're done. You might be out there for a month. You might be out there for seven days. You might be out there for three days. It depended on what got you out there outside the camp. And just with that knowledge that you're outside the camp, all you have to do to go see you God face to face is walk into his tent. <laughs> that's all it took. There's no sacrifice out there. So he's referring to when Jesus was crucified, he was taken out of the city. And that's a symbol of where was Jesus? Where did Jesus die for your sins? Not in that temple, but out here where all the other sinners were. And so let's go there. Therefore, verse 13, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Because everybody he's talking to is going to get persecuted and looked down upon because they follow Jesus. They live in a Jewish culture ruled by the Romans. And if they say, you know what? Jesus has fulfilled this and I'm not going to worship Caesar. Now they really don't fit in. They are really the outsiders. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. Back to what he was talking about in 12. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. I'm going to build my house. I'm going to love living in Evansville. I'm going to be very grateful that I live in the United States, but all this is going to pass away. It's all going to get wiped. So I'm going to look to that future kingdom and I'm going to prioritize my life for that future kingdom. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Him then, through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. The fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Yes, it is natural to want to sacrifice something to God. And what does He say to sacrifice? The words of our mouths. Let's offer up a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. That's a much harder sacrifice than carrying in a bowl, isn't it? To talk about God, to praise Him, to exalt Him. And notice he didn't say on the feast days or in the Holy Temple. It's all the time. The way that we live for this future city is to always be talking up God. To talk up Jesus, to talk up the power of the Holy Spirit. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Do good things. Share stuff. It's pretty simple, right? Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Wow. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The early church, a lot of people, they didn't have, you know, the NIV study Bible to go look at and figure out and answer their questions. It was very much a... Pray for one another, care for each other. Somebody has a question, I have no idea. Let's go find somebody that knows. And they'd track down the apostles, and they would ask the apostles, give us this teaching. What did Jesus say about this? And then they would say it. Make it easy on them. (laughs) Make it easy on John and Paul and Peter and Apollos. it's the very end here pray for us we are sure we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things i urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that i may be restored to you the sooner whoever wrote this is genuinely asking for prayer which is pretty awesome because we just heard obey your leaders you know make their leadership easy by doing this stuff don't make it a burden And then all of a sudden he's not saying, I'm the leader, so do what I say, do everything. He's saying, and pray for me. I need you to pray for me. I need help. I hope to be restored to you, but I might not be. So at the same time you're obeying new leaders, you're also not looking at them as superheroes, not looking at them as rock stars. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to be glory forever and ever. Amen. A great way to learn how to pray is to pray prayers that are in the Bible. And so... You can find a whole bunch of them at the end of most of the books of the New Testament. At the end of the New Testament books, there's a lot of time there's a a little prayer. And you can look at that and you can be like, okay, today I want to pray for my friend Tim. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip Tim with everything good so that Tim may do God's will working in all of us and working in Tim all the things that are pleasing in God's sight through Jesus Christ. You can do that and you can make it a real prayer and the Lord loves to answer the prayers that he wrote. (laughs) There it is, right? I can't get that wrong. It's a great way to pray. Ask the Lord, who do you want me to pray for? Somebody will pop into your head. And guess what? If it's your imagination and it's the devil, the devil is not going to give you anybody to pray for. That just doesn't make any sense at all. So don't think, oh, I just thought of Tim. I wonder if that's the devil making me, prompting me to pray for him. pray and then you can do it again and you can look and be like lord who do you want me to pray for and then put their name in in that spot you'll you'll be surprised at the power the power in that and then you get this great little ending thing which helps us out to know when this was written and who wrote it i appeal to you brothers bear with my word of exhortation For I have written to you briefly, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. So around 60 AD, Nero died. And Nero had captured and imprisoned a whole bunch of Christian people. And a bunch of people fled. Well, he was imprisoning them. Two people, Aquila and Priscilla, which we meet in the book of Acts, were people that fled. It says they fled Rome when Nero started the persecution. Now, Timothy got, needs to be released So the theory is that Timothy got arrested when the persecution of Nero happened, but Aquila and Priscilla escaped. So Aquila and Priscilla, they went and all the Roman people with them that were believers traveled together. And they had heard the gospel from John the Baptist. Then they heard it from Apollos, right? And they didn't have the Holy Spirit. All of that happened in the book of Acts. So whoever wrote this is probably with all of the Aquila and Priscilla and all of those believers, because they're the ones from Italy sending their greetings. When Nero died, he was hated by even the government. And they said, dude was nuts. He arrested all these people. Everybody that got arrested when Nero was having his fit gets released. And that's probably this news of Timothy being released right around 60 A.D. when Nero died. So it still doesn't prove that it was Paul that wrote it. A lot of people say, since it says our brother Timothy, there's some places that Tim, that Paul calls Timothy his brother. Sometimes he says, he's like a son to me. And usually whenever Paul mentions Timothy, he gushes all over him about how he's so awesome and he's just so faithful and, oh my gosh, that dude and... So it's probably not Paul because otherwise he would have carried on (laughs) about a whole bunch. Those from Italy, send your greetings. Grace be with you all. The other thing I love about this is in this wrap up, he does everything that he's said to do through the whole book of Hebrews. He's kind. He's sending greetings. That's a little bit of reverse hospitality. He's saying grace be with you all. He's blessing them. And in that prayer at the end, he is setting his eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, which he talked about a few chapters back. So it's kind of cool. This brings us to the end of the book of Hebrews, which has been really exciting. Um, If you want a treat. Remember, we prayed through Isaiah chapter 35 while we were quoting that. And you can go back and reread that and look at that as a prayer also. And then just to spend some time this week looking at just praising God that we're free from the law. Anytime you have some sausage or some bacon, I mean, I always make that joke that we're free from the law of bacon, but um, the the way people expressed their faith was by following the law. And sometimes that was really hard to do. Sometimes it was really easy and you could do it and it's not even an act of faith. If there's no pork on the menu... You just fasted from pork, right? Your heart didn't change. But Christ has come and changed our hearts so that from the inside, the Holy Spirit can work that we would follow Jesus fully. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for being our high priest, for interceding for us all the time and giving us just direct and instant access to the the Lord of lords and the King of kings and the God of all creation. I pray that you would bless us as we go today, Lord, that you would drive these things home to us, that we would seek after you from the deepest reaches of our hearts and that we would live for you in every way. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen. All right.